and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today is the fourth message of five on James. It was scheduled for last weekend, but um, American Airlines losing a plane and then a crew, and then the Lord in his good sovereign will determined that I would spend an extra night in Dallas last weekend. So I was grateful that Josh uh, Bales could come and bring uh, the word to you last week. And um, perhaps the, the Lord intended this sermon to come after uh, this week's events in, in our national life anyway. For this week, deep rifts in our society between Republicans and Democrats, men and women, young and old, were on grim display, were they not, in the uses to which were put this week's competing testimonies in the chambers of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I believe personally that it's the wrong use of this pulpit to make political pronouncements, and honestly, I'm not going there. But I felt that a senator, junior senator from Florida, Marco Rubio, made some penetrating remarks about the inhumanity of what was being done to, um, to uh, people who gave testimony on both sides. And um, I, I thought they were, I, I, I thought they were the kind of, very kind of thing that James speaks to today. Uh, Senator Rubio made a statement towards the end of Friday indicating that he felt that one side uses Dr. Ford as a weapon in a larger political fight, while the other side uses Judge Kavanaugh as a dispensable combatant in a broader partisan and cultural war. And the humanity, and the, the humanity of each is lost. This, continues Rubio, has become a modern political equivalent of the Roman circus, where the crowd is entertained by the spectacle of watching human beings destroy one another or get devoured by wild animals. Compassion is now viewed as weakness, he says. Restraint is now viewed as cowardice. Humility is now viewed as shameful. And being deliberate is now viewed as spineless. Instead, ruthlessness is viewed as strength. Impulsiveness is viewed as courage. Arrogance is viewed as evidence of greatness. And being reactionary is viewed as decisiveness. The virtues, he concludes, at the core of our Judeo-Christian heritage have become character flaws. And the character flaws the ancient prophets warned against and Christ challenged us to overcome have become virtues. That's the kind of world that James speaks into in our epistle. I don't know, maybe Senator Rubio had read today's section from James's epistle before writing his statement. But clearly, 
James, brother of Jesus, and by the way, son of Mary, more of that to come, James had witnessed something as ugly taking place among the followers of Jesus in his day. And it has him incensed. It has him infuriated. In fact, he uses a word that is rare in the New Testament. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he calls his readers adulteresses. Now, the New Revised Standard Version tries a gender-neutral adulterers, which is really masculine anyway, but the term in the Greek is decidedly feminine, adulteresses. And it evokes, I submit, a whole world of meaning from the Old Testament where, the God, where God in his masculine, protective strength comes and marries to himself a responsive, tender woman and they covenant their lives together in harmony, in tenderness, in affection. James's use of the term is especially evocative, coming as it does from Jesus' blood brother. And and therefore, one whose mother is the Virgin Mary of the Annunciation, impregnation by the Holy Spirit, and birth of the Son of God at Bethlehem. So I'd like you to stay with me for a little bit while I consider Mary as James's teacher. James has not just Jesus as his brother, but if he literally is Jesus' brother, as he seems to maintain, that makes Mary his mother. Try to imagine not only what it is to grow up with Jesus as your older brother, talk about competition for perfect son status, imagine what it is to have the mother of God as your mother and chief storyteller in your family. For sure, the stories that Jewish families tell their children have always been special. But imagine them coming from the one whose may it be done unto me has become the avenue for the remarriage of heaven and earth. How wonderful Israel's stories look through the lens of this faithful handmaid of the Lord. Israel's own call that she is embodying to become God's faithful wife, thereby beginning the undoing of the divorce between heaven and earth that took place at the eating of the forbidden fruit. You see, it was always Israel's mission as God's bride to be united with God and undo the pride that led first to Lucifer's fall and then to Adam and Eve's. It was always Israel's mission as bride of God to reverse the envy and anger that led to Cain's murder of Abel. It was always Israel's mission as God's bride to purify lustful desires that sadly led to the assault on Tamar 
and to David's seduction of Bathsheba. It was always Israel's mission to know an intimacy with God that would rekindle hunger and thirst for righteousness instead of Noah's post-flood drunkenness and Israel's debauched and debased dancing before a sacred cow. It was Israel's mission to carry within her life the reckoning even with a God who would inspire a love song between a husband and a wife, the Song of Songs, that would inevitably, necessarily be interpreted by Jewish and then Christian writers as a metaphor, a parable of God's becoming husband to his people, his bride. And it was Israel's mission to bear within herself the remembrance that God would command a prophet, Hosea, to marry a prostitute and promise that his loving faithfulness would eventually overcome his bride's faithlessness. Oh, how rich Israel's story reads. And then you factor in she who says unto the Lord, may it be unto me, as the one who tells those stories to Jesus as a little boy and James as his younger brother. God's intention to restore intimacy between him and us and to heal even within and between us. What only forgiveness can heal, even with maybe precisely because the questions that must have circulated all the time in Nazareth about the veracity of her claim to be a virgin at Jesus' birth. Not the last woman whose story is difficult to listen to and believe. Now consider Jesus as Jesus, as James's teacher. Comparing the writings of John, the gospel writer, with Paul, the letter writer, it's clear that during Jesus' earthly ministry, James, along with his other brothers, didn't believe his older brother and only came to believe in him after the risen Jesus made a special appearance. Nonetheless, it's clear from his letter that James had listened all along and had internalized about what Jesus came to teach. At the very outset of his ministry in Matthew, Jesus announces the blessings of life restored with God, what constitutes participating in union with God's life. Blessed is Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Go meditate on them, memorize them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, and by the way, says James in our epistle, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. James says, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. James says, let your, let your life display works that are done with meekness, not gentleness, despite the NRSV, done with meekness, born of wisdom. Blessed are those whose deepest desires are for God's righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, says Jesus. 
And so James says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus. And so James says that we are to be willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And Jesus says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And James commends precisely those who sow in peace. Those who make peace. Blessed are the persecuted, says Jesus. And James says, yeah, if you want to be a friend with the world, you're going to be at enmity with God. How contrary all of what Jesus was pointing to and all that James is pointing back to in his brother's teaching, how contrary it all is to what has taken hold of the human condition and the attitudes and the postures, what later Christian thinkers would call the deadly sins that characterize the walking death of life divorced from God and that we see around us all the time. And if truth be known, we see within ourselves, saved by the grace of God. Self-promotions, puffed out chest, envies, evil, murderous look aimed at those that I perceive to be above me. Anger's fist in the air and fist in your faith. Disinterest, shrug of the shoulders. Greed, gluttony, and lusts, grasping and groping hands. And here's what's, this is what has got James so animated. The glory of the church, the first fruits of new creation, is that we are the point the place of renunciation and resistance to those deadly sins. And we are the avenue by God's grace of reentry for life in union with God into this world, forgiven and made new, empowered to live differently by his mercy and grace. The horror of what James denounces is he sees Christians reverting to living as though they could have it both ways, being married to God in his life and also married to the world and its deadly sins. The only application I offer to you, or in fact, urge from you, take your bulletin insert or go to your Bible Hopefully it's well marked. Mark it up some more. Read today's epistle lesson over and over again and put your thumb in Matthew 5, 13 through 12. The life that Jesus came to embody, the life that he came to bestow upon you and me and do an inventory. May you get altitude and perspective as you see a world at, with people at each other's throats, people unmoored from any real reality, people just using one another out of their pride and envy 
their anger, their sloth, their lust, their gluttony, their avarice. And may you go deeper into the reality and the wonder of what it is to be first fruits of his creation. Would you let him speak to you? That to the extent your chest is puffed out in pride, you might find your chest on the ground in humble adoration. To the extent that you find yourself casting evil, murderous eyes at somebody that you feel is better off than you, would you mourn instead over the the sadness and the, the, the bitterness of so many people who have it so much worse than you. When you find your fist raised in the air in protest against God and then cast out against someone that you feel has wronged you, may you find the Lord's tender hand on your back saying, I have loved you and forgiven you, can you not do the same? And may you find the Lord taming, grasping, and groping hands. And may you find yourself able to name and find the Lord's mercy at places where you have been on the wrong end of grasping and groping hands. And may the Lord put on your heart someone this week that you know is just in vertigo and anger and despair because they have no one to take it to. And would you ask the Lord to give you the right words and the right time to offer the hope of the peace that comes from the knowledge of the true and living God whom James would connect us to through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.